Stone. I'm Peter. And I'm Felice. Welcome to our travel podcast. We're specialist travel writers and we've spent half a lifetime exploring every corner of the world. So we want to share with you some of our extraordinary experiences and the amazing people we've met along the way. You're on film, Peter. Do you want to count down? Little smile. Wow, I'm closing in on the French village of Arc 1950 at 130 kilometers per hour. That's around 80 mph. On skis? Now this time, I'm on a zipwire, and it's quite literally breathtaking. There are, of course, more conventional ways of covering the 1.8 kilometers from the top of the Varé Gondola, high above the ski resort of Les Arcs in the French Alps, but none so spectacular. It takes me just 60 seconds to get down. After putting on my skis again, I make my way to the heart of Arc 1950 and join Felice in this experimental village that's celebrating its 20th birthday this season. How was the ride, Peter? I really don't know why we do these things. It was scary, but I think I've done worse. What was yours like? It was fun, actually. I've done others before, and in the mountains they're particularly scary because of the height differences. Uh, But this one was lovely, actually. Really, really nice. Uh, Quite cold, though. Last one I think we did was in in Verbier, and we did in summer, which is a bit different when you're going over the snow. It's, uh, I don't know. When it's snow beneath you, it's all white and you can't really see the contours, whereas in summer you can see the jagged rocks and that makes it much more frightening. Yeah, I think when you see the rocks rushing by at such high speed, that's a bit of more dramatic effect, isn't it? Or when you rush by the rocks. <laughs> Either way, it's certainly a lot safer than the, my previous experience going down that slope, which was actually beneath the Zipoir, where there was the course of the Flying Kilometre, the Kilomètre um, Lancé, which was built for the 1992 Olympics. And some bright spark in a newspaper somewhere decided that I should go down it just before the Olympics and see how fast I could go. I wasn't there, luckily. No, well, you're very lucky you weren't because it was truly, truly terrifying. You step into the track and you accelerate at a speed higher than a Formula One car. And uh, you keep going in a straight line until you go uphill a bit and stop. You're wearing incredibly long skis and a funny-shaped helmet. Overall, the risk factor is high, but not desperate. I didn't start from the very top. I started from a, um, a beginner start position. But even so, I think I hit a speed of around 90 miles an hour which is far faster than I ever want to do on skis. But it's, uh, it's just a bit too dangerous. I'm not thinking of taking up speed skiing in my old age, I can tell you. But we're not here to talk about speed skiing. We're actually here to talk about Arc 1950 and its 20th birthday. So it all began with the ambition of Canadian resort developer Intrawest, creator of Mont Tremblant in Quebec, and makeover manager of some 20 other resorts in North America, from Whistler to Mammoth. Perhaps crucially, the company was based in Montreal and French was their first language. Let's bring in Jean-Marc Silver here. Jean-Marc, you were the first tourist director here. It was a North American dream and the other project, just a project at this time, is to create a resort in Europe. And they want to create a, a village open in winter but also in summer. And one day in Bourg-Saint-Maurice, arrive a man, Oyner, it's a visionaire. His name is Robert Jérôme, and he came alone 
by the train. He arrived in the railway station in Bursa Maurice, and is in this uh, suitcase there is a project to create the best village, the best mountain village in Europe. In advance on the marketing way, uh, and for us it was incredible to work with with them and and to think a, a new project for new customers. Jane Bolton, let's bring you in here. You're the managing director of Erna Lowe, which is Britain's oldest ski tour operator, going back to 1933, if my memory serves me right. So, Jane, we first met on the very first Eurostar, going from London to Bourg Summaries. I can't remember when that was, but 19-something. <laughs> it was a long time ago. It was a long time ago. At that time... Erna Lowe was the UK PR representatives for Les Arcs and La Plan. And we were doing their ski shows for them, all their marketing, advertising. And part of the job remit when the Eurostar direct service came was that there would be a representative on the train each week um, handing out brochures to clients that were travelling to go to those resorts. So did you, did you then stay in Les Arcs when you got there or did you come home? No, I came home. I came home and then went out three or four weekends, we all took it in turns from the office to to go and be the representative on the train each weekend. You were in on the building of 1950 from the very beginning, therefore. I can remember, Peter, going to uh, being in Les Arcs on 9-11 in 2001. And we were in a creative marketing meeting, which fried my brain in French at the best of times. And then we came out to this terrible news and it was just surreal experience of, of my life, I think. We came to the opening and I think there was one building then, but luckily lots of snow, so it didn't look too bad. And, and also the opening of the, the Van Rijs Express, the link from Les Arcs to La Plaine. So who would have thought that 1950 would develop like that? I mean, it's not huge, which is great. It has stopped at a certain level and it's really, you know, you can walk around it, you can ski around it and um, it's not, hasn't turned into an enormous resort, which I'm really pleased about. But that first building, um, the uh, Hamo de Glacier, which is the first one, and then they built the refuge uh, on the other side of the road. It was quite hard still then to imagine what it was going to be like when everything else was completed. Um, It looked a bit bizarre, just the two buildings, I think, with a a few commercial units, but nothing like it is now with everything, you know, more established. It was it was an extraordinary site, really, because there were the first people moving in, and it was a building site, I mean, a massive building site, wasn't it? Yeah, cranes everywhere. <laughs> so we we've come to the twentieth anniversary, and it's uh, very different. It's certainly all complete, and it's really one of the best places for families, I think, because you can just very easily ski round the whole thing. You don't have to be an expert to ski round the village or walk round the village. Twenty years on. Mm-hmm. Are you pleased with what you see today? Oh, I mean, yes, it's by far our, um, at Erna Lowe, it's by far our biggest selling resort. We recommend it for people with families all the time. We were looking at our own family videos last night, and I've got a video of my son um, skiing through the village at uh, three, three and a half, because the, the Caribou Club has a special little area down at the bottom with the with its own magic carpet and a, and a little tiny slope and they'd ski a little bit in the morning and then go back into the into the chalet for the afternoon and do snow games and what have you in the afternoon and so by the age of yeah he was three and a half and he was had quite happily skiing down very slowly through the village and having a lovely time so it was really it's really very good for people with families as well 
as well as you know individual skiers that like the doorstep skiing. What mm. do you think is the the best thing about it? I, I, for me, it's very much the fact that it's uh, as a child friendly resort. It's completely safe. There's no traffic. There's no cars at all. I mean, you can drive up the road to get there, and then it's got this massive network of underground car parks you'd never think of that would you as you were skiing if you didn't know the car park was there you'd have no idea of how the village actually functions and how everything gets to where where it is and yes we used to just let the kids go off and buy their um uh, pan chocolate croissants in the morning and and go to the supermarket and go to the events in the evening you know they have their whole animation program in the in the evenings and um you could let them go without worrying about them in the slightest thing I notice now is that everything in the apartment, all the cleaning things and washing things that we're providing are all environmentally friendly, all organic, which I think is great. And I wondered if that was just Pierre et Vacances or all over. No. Well, I noticed as well that in um, other accommodations I've been staying in recently that there's been a big move towards that. There's obviously a big push towards it. But with Pierre and Vacances, they are, I think, one step ahead in terms of environmental ways that they're working especially my favorite bit is the fact that they're doing the food recycling at the end because I always wondered what happens you know when you leave your bag of pasta or your tube of mayonnaise you know what it's such a waste of just leaving it in an apartment but now they're somehow recycling it um, and redistributing it so I think that's a really good uh, in- initiative. We should explain how Piero Vacances fits in and earn a low and the whole thing how that works I think. Yeah, good perhaps you could explain. Could you? Yeah. Well, again, Pierre Vacances have been one of our, our biggest partner over the years. And at one point, we were their UK representatives as well. So when Art1950, when Pierre Vacances took over in Art1950, it was a very logical partnership for us to continue. You know, we, we were very strong there as it was. And we were also one of their biggest UK partners. So we just continued to work work with them very strongly. So they have most of the property there. And then, of course, there are private owners as well. Yep, there are private owners and then they've also got myava.com rentals as well. And myava.com is part of Pierre Vacances, so it's part of uh, the big umbrella company. So the other thing is how easy it is to get to Arc 2000. And we went there just for dinner to a lovely restaurant, 2134, rooftop 2134. And then back again afterwards, just by gondola, it was incredibly easy. Well, it's only 50 vertical metres, so it's not far. And that, the cabriolet lift runs until 11 o'clock and it's remarkably convenient, isn't it, the, just to pop up and down. It's almost as if the resorts could be one resort apart from this significant difference in the architecture. But the, the atmosphere is very different because Arc 2000 is just above the tree line and the landscape can be quite stark, especially when the weather closes in, whereas Arc 1950 is down in the trees. It feels a bit more cosy in Art 1950, doesn't it? And you can find your way around easily too, whereas 2000 is a bit more tricky because there's so many apartments. Yeah, a labyrinth, the labyrinth of lifts and everything looking similar. I Mm. think that's right. And there's nothing new planned to make Arc 1950 bigger, is there? It's not going to be like the other intra-West resort. No, no. My understanding was that that was absolutely the last the last plots uh, that were built on and um, that there isn't anywhere else available for building in that area. Yeah, I mean, the convenience is fantastic. And I love the light show as well, up above Arc uh, 2000 and the zip wire that you can do. Um, the, the resort, I think, is absolutely fantastic. Yeah, we did the zip wire and that was... And we went to the light show, which was amazing, wasn't it? Yes, explain yeah. The, explain the light show. Well, we were hesitant about 
coming off our skis after lunch and not going out on the piste again for a bit. So we weren't sure if we wanted to do it. And we were persuaded into it and into this room. It was a converted garage for the lift station. And inside, you walk through it and there's film, floor to ceiling of, I don't know how to describe it, it really. It's, it's going through the whole calendar year of Les Arcs. So you see the, the spring and then you get into summer and then you get winter and snow falling. It's very dramatic and hard to describe, but it's quite a surreal experience, isn't and it? And I should think fun for children to go to as well. Yeah, absolutely. And it's accessible by pedestrians as well. You don't need to be able to ski to get there because you can just go up in the bubble. That's the other thing. It's one of the few purpose-built resorts that would be suitable for non-skiers, I think. Yes, especially with the spa in 1950 as well. We recommend it a lot for people that have mixed groups of people that ski and don't ski. Because most purpose-built resorts are bleak places. When everyone's gone out skiing, you're left there with not a lot to do. I think the spa is really important. Mm. And, of course, getting there. Tell us about getting there, because one of the great advantages of Les Arcs in general is that it is accessible by train. Yes. Well, we travelled together, didn't we, on the train? We arrived in borg and then you walk along the platform, along the bridge, and then you can get on the funicular up to Arc 1600 from where there are feeder buses up to the different resorts. So, yes, it is, it is convenient. So if people want to book with you to go to Arc1950, how would they do that? Well, they can book online on our website at ernalo.co.uk or they can give us a call and we'd be happy to speak to them. We've got people that have been to Arc1950 many, many times in our sales team, so they are very experienced and know it know it really, really well. So why do you think 1950 is so different? Well, I think you have to go back a lot more than 20 years to the rather romantic origins of the whole of Les Arcs. A local shepherd called Robert Blanc, who came from one of the tiny hamlets just above Bourg-Saint-Maurice, dreamt the whole thing up. He and his four brothers, they were all shepherds in summer and ski instructors in winter, used to spend their summer months in the 1950s on the mountainside here. Now, teenage Robert and his flock usually roamed the high pastures that surround a cluster of seasonal refuges that now house the Chalet de l'Arc mountain restaurant. It's just above the ski village of Arc 2000. It's actually a really nice restaurant and we went there for coffee this time. Now, Robert knew every twist and turn of the terrain. And when the weather was bad, he'd bring the sheep down to the tree line for shelter and to drink from the streams here. Now, further along the valley, the post-war ski resort building boom was already underway in places like Courchevel. But Robert believed that his was an even better location. He went on to become a much-respected international mountain guide, travelling the world and making extreme descents in other mountain ranges. But he was always thinking about what needed to happen at home. By chance, he met up with a local entrepreneur called Roger Gordino, and together, rather astonishingly, they managed to create Les Arcs. And of course, Les Arcs quickly developed a reputation for innovation right from the beginning, didn't it? The first time I went there, which was in the 80s, they had Ski Evolutif, which was a short type of ski that you learnt on, very, very short, and then every day you went up an extra length until you were finally on long skis, normal length skis. It's what Americans call the graduated length method, and it had its advantages and disadvantages, didn't it? You learned quite quickly, but... You couldn't shush on them. You could do lots of very quick turns. Never learn the snowplow, that was a problem. And as we all know in life, there are moments when you really need it on a steep slope and all sorts of other occasions. So Les Arc was at the forefront of that and speed skiing that we've mentioned. 
It was one of the homes of uh, snowboarding, early snowboarding in Europe, um, snowboarding having been developed in America, and it was also one of the original homes of monoskiing. Arc 1600, the first village, opened in 1968, and 1800 followed in 1974. I met Robert in 1979 at the opening of the village of Arc 2000. This, I think, was planned as the last village at the time, and this, like the others, was somewhat utilitarian in concept. Uh, Club Med that was later to be surrounded by basic shoebox apartments. Not much creature comfort here, but, but they gave immediate access to what was becoming a major ski area. I think Robert sensed that we thought then that there could be still more to Les Arc than this. That afternoon we skied down from there into the trees and we paused in the glade which was to become the 55,000 acre site of Arc 1950. And Robert told me, you know, this would be a great sheltered spot for a luxury apartment complex and maybe a hotel. One day, I'll build another village here. Sadly, it wasn't to be. Shortly after our meeting, Robert was killed in an avalanche while searching the same stretch of mountainside for two Belgian girls who had been reported missing. In fact, they turned up alive and well in Arc 1600. It's interesting to note that the majority of the original apartment buyers were British, attracted, no doubt, by the Canadian marketing ploy that made them so affordable. The developers fitted carpets and curtains and other basic furnishings as soon as they were built. The owners didn't buy the apartments outright for the first 11 years, but leased them back to Les Arc when they were not occupied. Therefore, they weren't subject to VAT, and as a result, the new resort had few cold beds at any time of year, winter or summer, which greatly added to the attraction of 1950. The restaurants, shops and other services all benefited hugely. Jean-Marc, you must be very pleased to have created such an amazing resort. Yeah, it was very exciting and interesting because we was working with the Canadian team. They are very, very in advance on the marketing. For us, it was new. For us in France and in Europe. One final question. If Robert Blanc was alive today, if he hadn't tragically been killed in that avalanche, would he be very pleased no. with what you've done? I think he would. We hope so. His brother, Yvon Blanc, knows the village. I was very pleased to work with, uh, with Yvon Blanc. I think the most important that was the pleasure of the guest. And when we saw the smile on the face on our guest in the village, it's a real gratification. 20 years after, we can tell it's a real success. And we can say thank you to the English people to believe in this project. That's all for now. If you've enjoyed the show, please visit our website, actionpacktravel.com, or you can subscribe on Apple, Spotify, Amazon, or any of the many podcast platforms. You can also find us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. We'd love you to sign up for our regular emails too at peter at actionpacktravel.com. Until next week, stay safe. And I am you. Just a crazy storm